morning, church. Today's study comes from the book of John, chapters, well, the book of John 11, chapters 1 through 44, but I will be reading verses 1 through 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. These are the words of our Lord. Good morning. Happy Fourth of July. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I want to also welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. Believe is our current teaching series, working our way through the gospel according to John. And the title of this weekend's message is Jesus Wept. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11. We're looking at verses 1 through 44. Also grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. Let me start by saying here, you can see this at the top of your notes, every person who lives long enough will eventually experience difficulties they, that, they are, that are not easy to understand. We will all face difficulties in our life that are not easy to understand. In fact, they're going to rattle us. They're going to shake us. Some are so shaken by their inability to understand that they feel a profound sense of abandonment by God. So here's the, the question, and we're working through in this text, I think it really answers this wonderfully for us. How do you hang on to your faith even when God doesn't make sense? How do you do that? Now, there are three acts to this story, Act 1, verses 1 through 16. There we'll answer the question, what is true about life's difficulties? Act 2, verses 17 through 37, how do we help a friend who is grieving, and the second question under that act two is, what do we learn from Jesus about grieving? And then act three, verses 38 through 44, how do we make sense of difficulties? Let's take that first act, verses one through 16. Lazarus is terribly ill, and his two sisters send word to Jesus. Let me start by a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So what is true about life's difficulties? Go back to the text, verses 1 through 3. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord... He, he whom you love is ill. The word love here is phileo, brotherly love, friendship love. The one you are friends with, he's ill. Here's your first fill in the blank on your notes. When life gets difficult, don't appeal to Christ on the basis of your love for him, 
but on his love for you. Because oftentimes, I mean, our love for him kind of does the roller coaster routine, and if it's based on that, we're going to not feel really certain that he's going to be working in our life. But man, when we base it on his love for us, his love for us is beyond our wildest dreams. It's never ending. It's always going to be there. Nothing can separate us from his love. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrates his love for us. 1 John 4.19, we don't love him or he doesn't love us because we first loved him. We love him because he did what? He first loved us. He first loved us. Preemptive love. He came after you. That's why you know him. He loves you. He pursues you. So that's what they're doing here. They're appealing to Jesus on the basis of his love for his friends. Here's the next, uh, oh, let me read the next uh, section here, verses uh, four through six. <clears throat> but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved, now this is another, uh, another definition for the word love. We just have one word, love, and uh, I love peanuts, I love popcorn, I love my wife. It doesn't quite fit, but, but, the, but the Greek language is much deeper, and so when it uses the word love, you've got to look to see what, it, what does that mean. So the first one was phileo, friendship love. This is agape. That unconditional love. And so it says, now Jesus said, Jesus, now Jesus loved agape, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Unconditional love, deep. That's the deepest kind of love you can have. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? That almost sounds like an, a contradiction, doesn't it? Wait a minute, I thought Jesus loved loved them and loved Lazarus, and he would immediately respond, but he stays two days longer here. Next point on your notes. Close friendship with Christ does not eliminate difficulty, but it does empower us to successfully face difficulty. Jesus made it very clear. We're going to eventually get to this in the study of the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus is talking about his uh, hanging on the cross and and his death, and what's going to happen, and the disciples are a bit freaked out. They're really stressed out over this. And he says, I'm telling you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, this is what you got to keep in mind when it comes to difficulties. He never, ever promised us a painless or problem-free life. Nowhere in the Scripture did he promise us that. But this is what he did promise. He promised us his presence, his power, his peace, regardless of what we go through. That's what he's talking about in 1633. In fact, 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can face anything with his supernatural power living within us through his Holy Spirit. Difficulties will be unbearable if we forget that God is for us and with us. When we start getting anxious or angry or depressed, it's because we have forgotten that God is for us and with us. We've got to go back to that truth. Number three on your notes, sometimes the pieces simply will not fit. God doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Why would he delay for two days? 
1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, we see through a glass dimly or darkly, but then face to face we will know as we are fully known. And so that glass that he's talking about, he's talking about a mirror. The mirror that they had in those days was polished brass. And you could just kind of make out the outline of a person. I want to go back to those mirrors. How many vote for brass mirrors? Okay, yeah. I'm, I look really good in a brass mirror. <laughs> we see through a glass darkly or dimly. But notice what he says, but then face to face. Face to face with who? With Christ. Face to face, we will know as we are fully known. How, how fully known are we by God? He knows the number of hairs on our head. Easy count for some of us, huh? Some of you bald guys out there. I don't see very many bald guys out there this morning. Oh, yeah, there's a couple right back here. Yeah, welcome to the party, man. He knows the number of hairs on our head. Four. <laughs> oh, you got five. Okay. And so uh, what it's saying is that we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. We don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. There's just a lot in life that's not going to make sense to us on this side of eternity. We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, we will know as we are fully known. When we come before him, we'll begin to go, oh, wow, I had no idea. And so that's, that's why it's important to keep that in mind. It tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth. I was doing some research just last week, and I guess they discovered the end up there up into the heavens, they, they found the end of that uh, through research, and I'm lying right now. And so, <laughs> obviously, they, they can't figure this out. I mean, it's, that's beyond our wildest, craziest thoughts. And the Bible says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. Sometimes God is not gonna make sense to us finite beings. He's infinite, he's eternal. And so we've got to be okay with that. Sometimes the pieces simply will not fit, and God doesn't make sense. Rest and peace is not found in trying to figure it all out, but in trusting the one who has it all figured out for our good and his glory. Number four in your notes, delays are not a denial of God's love, but a part of his plan to display his glory for our greatest good. Of course, we have the famous verse, Romans 8, 28. Most of us probably have memorized that, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he's taken the messes of our lives. He's working in those messes. Um, Genesis 50, 20 is the Romans 8, 28 of the Old Testament. And then, uh, and so difficulties, let me, let me, this is what we need to keep in mind. Anytime we face difficulties, difficulties are never for nothing. Difficulties are never for nothing. God is at work in the worst of times doing a thousand things no one can see but him for our good and his glory. And we've got to remember that. We've got to go back to those verses. Romans 8, 28, Genesis 50, 20. You need to memorize those and tattoo them on your brain and always go back to that. Another verse you need to have is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith and not by what? Sight, feelings. He's at work. Now, look at number five on your notes under this question, what is true about life's difficulties? How to face life's greatest difficulty, death. Let's talk about that, verses seven through 16. 
Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? I mean, they can't make sense of this. Like, ah, this is suicide. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the, if anyone walks in, in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What is he talking about there? What is he saying? Well, he's doing the will of the Father. He knows that he's, he's obeying and he's following what God has in store for him. He's just saying, if you continue to walk in the light, that's how you want to live your life. And I'm doing what God has called me to do. And then he goes on and he says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So he's using this figurative language, I think it's really beautiful in our understanding of death. We'll talk about that in a moment. He just says, Lazarus has, has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. In other words, get ready because this is gonna increase your faith like nothing else. So I, I'd like to say that to some of you that are going through difficulties right now. Get ready because this is going to increase your faith like nothing else. When you see the hand of God working in your life, I mean, that's what he's saying to his disciples. I'm glad I wasn't there because you're going to see something powerful happen. That delay that you went through, the struggle you're going through, guess what? His glory is going to be revealed through that. But let us go to him, he says. So Thomas called the twin, remember Doubting Thomas, his nickname? said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And um, we talked about this in our staff meeting. I, mean, I think he's, he's probably a half empty, you know, looks at a cup and it's half empty kind of guy. And yet at the same time, we also talked about that shows a lot of devotion that he would be willing, yeah, if we're gonna die, I'm gonna die with him. We're all in, let's go. If this is what it takes. Now, a couple of thoughts on this, how to face life's greatest difficulty, death. By the way, most of us don't think of this, especially if we're young, unless we have a, a, a close brush with it or we lose someone close to us. Then we start thinking about it a little bit more, but then if you're relatively young, you, you don't think much of it because you think it's way down the road. And then you start getting old like me and you, you can start almost seeing the finish line and you go, oh, you start thinking more seriously about it. So as believers in Christ, death is nothing we should fear. It is like going to sleep. It's like taking a nap. How many like taking afternoon naps on Sunday? Sunday afternoon naps? And here's the best way to do it. Turn on golf. That's the boring, the most boring stuff I've ever watched. He said, they, stand, they mumble too, they just kind of... He's at hold 18. He's about ready to use his. I'm out. Second Corinthians 5, 8, it says, uh, it says, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment you take your last breath on earth, boom, you're with the Savior. Just like that. Philippians 1, 21 says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
So when I hear of a, of a brother or sister that has passed away, first thought that comes to mind, gain for my brother. Gain for my sister. We had a sister pass away uh, within the last month, and immediately I just thought, ah, gain for her. She's in our Savior's arms. That's beautiful. We'll miss her. We love her. But man, gain. Billy Graham said this, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Is that good? So life's greatest tragedy is not death, but death without Christ. Here's your next thought on your notes under this idea of how to face life's greatest difficulty, death. It's never over until it's over. We are indestructible until the appointed time comes. That's the kind of the point that he's making here. Hebrews 9.23 says, is it appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment? You have an appointment with death. All of us do. In fact, it tells us in Psalm 139.16 that God has numbered our days. He knows the number of our days. So no matter how many airbags you have in your car or how many vitamins you take, you and I have an appointment with death. And so does that mean that I can jump off the edge of the Grand Canyon or skydive without a parachute? If you do... If you do that, you'll find that is your appointment <laughs> with death. I mean, you've got to be responsible. But in all of that, you can be as responsible as you can be, and you still have an appointment with death. Number six, we're still answering the question, what is true about life's difficulties? Difficulties are opportunities to develop our faith as God demonstrates his faithfulness. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds, knowing this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces endurance, so let endurance have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. So hard times can help you to become more whole and mature with Christ. That's what he's saying. Suffering will either make you or break you, but it will never leave you the same. I love what Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, said. It's not how great the pressure is, but where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you near his heart. So think about that. The choice is yours. How are you going to respond to the suffering? You're going to face suffering. How are you going to deal with it? You're going to let it come between you and God? I've seen that happen in a lot of people's lives, Christians' lives. Are you going to let it drive you deeper into God? If it comes between you and God, you become bitter. You become hard, cold, proud, angry, fearful, hopeless, and distant from God and others. If it presses you near His heart, you will become better. Tender, humble, stronger, wiser, deeper, and closer to God and others. I'm telling you, my wife and I, as we've gone through the difficulties of life together, that there are things that we've gone through that we wouldn't wish it on our worst enemy, but we wouldn't trade it for anything because we have seen the glory of God in ways that otherwise we would have never seen. 
It's been quite spectacular. In our deepest wound, we saw his glory, and it captivated us. It overwhelmed us. No matter what you're going through, he's working in your life. You can trust him. And he wants to do some beautiful things in your life for your good and to reveal his glory to you and through your life. Here's Act 2. Verses 17 through 37, Jesus shows up, Lazarus has been dead for four days, and his sisters are grieving. Now, he's going to teach us here how to, how to work through this whole grief process, and starting in verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near, Jerusalem was about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, you can, you can sense what she's feeling here. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, oh my goodness, these are sweet words. These are beautiful words. These are profound words. These are overwhelming words. These are beautiful words in so many different ways. If we could hang on to these words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And he's asking us this morning that very question. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's faith. That's Christian faith right there. It's based on the person and work of Jesus Christ, and you put your faith in him. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly, went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw her rise quickly, and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, note, note this, he was deeply moved in spirit. Literally, if you look that Greek word up, it means he was angry and greatly troubled and agitated. Why was he angry and agitated? Because of what the rebellion of man has caused, this deep suffering. God is troubled and angry over what we've done with this planet and how we treat one another. 
He didn't intend it to go like this, but we rebelled against him, and all suffering is symptomatic of our rebellion against God. That's what he was angry about. In general, not at them, but in general of the fallenness of man. And notice what, as he goes on, he says, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Now, here's the most profound, I think one of the most infinitely deep verses in the Bible. Jesus wept, verse 35. Now, think about that. Just let that land on you just for a moment. What does that mean? Jesus wept. So, so it's possible to be angry and agitated and at the same time be brokenhearted. That's what he's showing us. Jesus wept. We have a God who, who has emotions, a God who cares about us, a God who's brokenhearted when our hearts are broken. He understands, he knows, he cares. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's talk about this just for a moment. How do we help a friend who is grieving? It's not that hard. Sometimes we get kind of freaked out over, oh, what do I do, what do I say? I, I wish I could take the pain away. I, and, and then we end up saying something really dumb or, or whatever. So we're, we're better off just to keep our mouths quiet, in fact, as you will see. But, but without rebukes or reservations, Jesus met each sister where she was. Martha needed intellectual reinforcing and Mary needed emotional support. So when you, you look at how he uniquely met them at their point of need, Martha needed to know that Jesus is in control. That's why he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. She kind of goes back and forth a little bit with him. I, if you had been here, but I know that you could, you could still do something, but at the same time, she's kind of going back and forth. She's waffling a bit. And he just reinforces, no, I'm in control. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, and he goes on and tries to explain that to her. And then Mary needed to know that Jesus cared. Jesus wept. He wept with her. Here's some thoughts on how to help a friend who is grieving. Number one, be real. Be honest about your feelings. The best thing to do is just to cry with them. Number two, be quiet. Be a good listener. Number three, be supportive. Validate and love. Just say, man, we're here with you. We love you. We're praying for you. Oftentimes, we'll also tell them, sometimes I'll, I'll listen to them a little bit, and, and I know that for the most part, everybody needs to know that God's in control, and he cares. God's still here. He hasn't abandoned you. He loves you. I know that doesn't make sense right now, but he's, he's still God, and he really cares about you. He loves you. They just need to have that reinforcement. Be real, be quiet, be supportive, be available. Stay by their side. A guy by the name of Joe Bailey's, in the course of several years, lost three children. In his book, The View from a Hearse, he shares his honest feelings when one of the children died. This is what he says. I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. 
He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask me leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour and more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Just being there with people, loving them, holding them, crying with them, helping them as they navigate this. Here's the next question. What do we learn from Jesus about grieving? What do we learn about from Jesus about grieving? Number one, you can have great faith and still weep. Spiritual maturity and great sorrow go hand in hand. It's about being fully alive. 2 Corinthians 6.10, it says, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That can happen simultaneously. The opposite of, uh, of sorrow is, uh, the opposite of joy is not sorrow, it's hopelessness. So you can have sorrow and joy at the same time. It's always sorrowful, uh, sorrowful but always rejoicing, as he says in 2 Corinthians 6.10. First Thessalonians 4.13 says that we grieve... So we're going to grieve, but we don't grieve like the world grieves because we have what? Anybody? We have hope. We have hope in God. So we're not going to grieve like the world grieves because of the hope that we have in him. In spite of the fact that Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still weeps. I'm thinking he could have said, hey, guys, wipe those tears away. I'm here. I'm here to take care of this situation. No need to grieve. No, he grieves. He still weeps. His power does not rule out his grief. His ability to raise the dead does not rule out his sorrow and pain in his heart. Number two on your notes, he understands the full weight of our pain. We trust God in suffering not because we see his hand in our circumstances, but because we see his heart on the cross, the pain that he went through for you and I. He loved us and hates suffering so much that he was willing to come down to this world and get involved in it. He knows, he cares, and he rules. That's enough. That's all we need to know. Number three, beware of the paralysis of analysis, spending time speculating why. Now notice Jesus doesn't give long theological or psychological explanations. There are no nice, simple answers to the complex issues of evil and suffering. You're never quite prepared for the phone call. It always comes out of nowhere. I got a phone call last night from my mom. And she was crying. And she had just heard yesterday afternoon that her sister-in-law, her brother's wife's sister, was gone for several days house-sitting and they tried to contact her, couldn't get a hold of her, showed up at the house and she had been dead for about two to three days. They were devastated. She was too young to die. You're never quite prepared for that phone call. It always comes out of nowhere. So what do you do when you feel that your heart is caving in? Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're feeling, it's okay. Anger, shock, rage, numbness, not feeling anything at all, it's all okay. It's all okay. 
Some things are unresolved and no amount of explanations or intellectualizing or spiritualizing helps. Some things are painful, random, evil, and brutal, and they make no sense, and right now we can't resolve them, and we have to let them be. Here's my go-to passage when I get to that place is, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, He'll direct, and he will direct your path. That word acknowledge means cultivate intimacy with him. Allow it to drive you deeper into his love. Doesn't make sense, God, but I'm in your arms of love. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I cling to you. Number four, if you don't let it out, grieve it, it is still in there somewhere. Psalm 55, 22, that's why it says, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. So you gotta be casting your burdens regularly to the Lord. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. It is possible to have gone through great loss years ago and to have not grieved it properly and still be carrying it around. How do you know that? I've done a lot of funerals and I can see it in people. When I sit down with people and try to help them walk through this, this is what I've seen in people's lives. And um, as they've, they've carried this past grief and hits and hurts in their life, they're toxic, they're bitter, they're angry people, or they're they have these addictions that control their life to medicate the pain that they've never dealt with in their heart. There's a toxicity about them. I've had them turn on me as I've tried to help them and point them to Christ. So you've got to be okay with that. You can't take it personal. you just got to go, oh, this person has a lot of pain that they haven't dealt with. They're turning it on me. And they'll turn it on their loved ones. It, it totally devour relationships. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it in the church. I've seen it in my own family. I've seen it in, in other families as they're trying to grieve because they've stockpiled grief from the past. Beware of this. Uh, let me just say this, first of all, that if, if the Son of God needs a good cry, then so do you and I. And that's what he's demonstrating here. And... Uh, Beware of the weird idea that weeping, mourning equals doubting God or a sign of weakness or it's not manly to cry. I cry more than my wife cries. And everybody would agree that I'm probably emotionally more healthy than she is. <laughs> you guys weren't supposed to respond. You're supposed to go, that's right, Pastor Ray. You're wonderful in every way. No, I wasn't expecting that, but no, she's probably healthier than I am. But I do cry more than she cries. Some of you are thinking, you big cry, baby. I think it's actually healthy to cry. If it's been a while since you've teared up or cried, you might want to really think about that. What are, you, are you stockpiling some of this stuff? What's going on? Have you really grieved those losses? Are you just shoving it down inside? Are you medicating? You need to grieve those things. It is wrong and you can mess people up for an entire lifetime when they're not allowed to express natural healthy emotion. So let me get, walk you through uh, the stages of grief here real quick because you need to know these, kind of memorize them and look at your own life as it relates to past hurts. 
Uh, this is kind of the shorter version. There's longer versions, but I want to get through my grief quick, okay? So uh, that's why I like the shorter version. <laughs> and you can't, you can't force it, but there's denial, avoidance. Uh, denial is avoidance. You minimize or you deny it's happening. That can happen even in, in abusive situations where people are being abused and they deny it. They, don't, they act like it's not even happening. And then it turns to anger. That's fight or flight. Neither one of those are really helpful in dealing with grief process, fight or flight. Uh, Because what happens is that we do the fight or flight and we realize, oh, this doesn't work. This isn't, I can't do this. I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't be acting like this. We shove it down inside of us. And then anger turned inward becomes depression. So if you look at a lot of people that are depressed, it's because they have unresolved issues. They've shoved it down inside of them. Yeah, there is a chemical issue that you need to deal with also in that, but I'm talking strictly about the psychological part of this. And so anger turned inward can become depression. You become depressed because you're not getting it out. You're not dealing with it. You're not grieving it. And so you got to... You got to deal with your anger with not fight or flight, but with faith. And then there's bargaining, the what ifs and the if onlys. Both Mary and Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the if onlys. They're right there in grief. You can spot where people are oftentimes by how they communicate what they're saying. They said that in verse 21 and 32. You can't get stuck there. That's a horrible place to get stuck. If only, if only. I know people that are still living in the past and they're saying, if only that had happened. How long ago did that happen? Oh, 10 years, 20 years ago. Oh my goodness, you're still stuck there? You gotta get beyond that. If only, or what ifs. You gotta get to the place of sorrow where you feel it, validate it, and know that Jesus understands and is with you. And then you gotta push on to acceptance where you rest in Christ's love for you. You go, God, I I can't make heads or tails out of this, but I know. I know you're working for my good and you're going to display your glory in such a way that it's going to dazzle me. It's going to overwhelm me. My hope is in you. I'm pressing on. I can't stay here any longer. I've got to move on down the road. I've got to keep my eyes in the future and quit looking back. At some point, you've just got to say that. You've got to move on. Sometimes it takes a while. It can take a year or so to really work through some real difficult grief. So you can't force anybody through that process, but you've got to take that, take that road. Number five, when you have questions, doubts, and fears, don't run away from God. Run to him. And when you do, he will reorder your negative thoughts and emotions by refor- refocusing your attention upon himself. So you run to him. I mean, cry out to God. What's the, what is the... Biggest book in the Bible, the largest book in the Bible? Psalms. How many chapters? 150. 150 chapters of raw emotion. What is that saying? It's at the center of the Bible. That's really, really important. Largest book in the Bible, raw emotion brought to God. And in fact, there's even chapters in there like chapter 88. Most, you know, for the most part, you can see where he's bringing his emotion, raw emotion to God, and God helps him to reorder his negative thoughts and emotions, and by the end of the psalm, looks like it's pretty victorious. But there's a few psalms in there, not victorious at all. He gets to the end of the psalm, for instance, in Psalm 88, and he says, darkness is my closest friend. That's the end of the psalm. You're going, is there more? No, sometimes that's just how life is. 
and you're continuing to work through that and you're hoping for brighter days. But you, you stay with it. You commit your life to him. You trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You don't lean upon your own understanding. You keep pressing on. I think that what you want to do is get to the place. How do you know you're getting healthy? You want to get to the place where you can recall it but not relive that past event. It doesn't mean you might not tear up. I mean, you, you'll still maybe tear up, but it, it doesn't have its hold on you. It doesn't control you anymore. And you begin to realize, and you can get to the place where you can, you can recall it but not relive the past because God has recycled your pain for you to minister to others as a trophy of God's amazing grace. God wants to use those things in your life, those, that pain, that suffering, the difficulty to help others, to give them hope. I don't know how many times that uh, I've shared my heart with someone only to have them say, yeah, here's what I went through. It was almost identical or even worse than what I went through and I, immediately I knew, ah, they understand. God wants to use you through your suffering and to help others, to get to the place where you can help others in their suffering. Every past hurt needs to be grieved. Don't let past hurt snowball, snowball on you. So you've got to grieve those. They can, you guys know what I mean by snowball? They accumulate over time and they'll take you down. You can identify past hurts through triggers. Triggers are anything that sparks an intense emotional reaction regardless of your current mood. You might be doing really well, someone mentions a, an event, a name, or, a, or whatever it might be, and it triggers something in you, a negative thought and emotion that rises up within you. Kind of like when you're driving, you're enjoying the day, you're listening to some really good Christian music, and all of a sudden, some, someone cuts you off on the freeway, and you go, Rah! what was that about? Well, there, that was a trigger. There's, there's, there's something that triggers something down deep. So you follow those triggers back to their origin, try to figure out what is going on and allow God to use that in your life. We did a whole series on this, Wholeness in a Broken World was the series at the beginning of the year and the particular message was titled Truth. If you want to go into more detail on that, here's Act 3, verses 38 through 44. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and his friends helped to remove his grave clothes. Listen to this, so verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it and Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. She was 100% right, okay? Decomposition is a horrible smell. And verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So that's what the Lord would say to us. Did I not tell you if you believe in your difficulty, in your pain, in your suffering, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man 
who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Wow. I mean, this is the, the apex of really, in, in many ways, the ministry of Jesus. So, so the Gospel of John is laying out seven miracles to prove that this is God, and this is the biggest one of all, the resurrection of Lazarus. Of course, we know there's a bigger one coming, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this is just showing us, once again, he's God. He can take that which is dead in our life and make it alive, whatever it might be. So let's make sense out of difficulties. Here's the last three, three thoughts. It is arrogant and foolish to judge the end by the beginning or to judge what we can't see by what we can see. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, so we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Because our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's, that sweet saint that we, we did her funeral here a few weeks ago, part of our church. I mean, that was the first thing that came to mind. Um, that I knew that when she was face to face with her maker, what was going through her mind as she, as she thought about this life, she was saying, light and momentary compared to what I have now. Now, while you're going through it, it would be really cruel of me to come up to you and you're going through really terrible pain and suffering for me to say, ah, light and momentary. Don't send Pastor Ray over here again because he was no help. Light and momentary, get over it. Our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Oftentimes when we're going through it, we can't see that. But Paul is telling us that. Our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But here's the problem. It's where we, we fix our eyes. He says this, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, in, in heaven, everything sad will come untrue and be all the more glorious for having once been lost. That's what we're going to experience. Here's the next one. God's plan is best seen in the rearview mirror. When it's all said and done, his plan is for our ultimate good and his glory. God will prove once again to be faithful, either this side of eternity or in eternity. You're going to go, oh, my goodness, God, you are faithful in every way. Number three, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but we still need the help of others to remove the grave clothes. Removing grave clothes is a community project. That's why you need to be a part of a church family. So through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, he conquered sin, death, and evil so that we could experience his presence, his power, and peace to face anything in life. But we need help. We need the help of others to help us to remove the grave clothes so that we can experience that fullness of life that can only be found in him. Psalm 147, 3 through 4, listen to me. The one who names and numbers the stars can heal your broken heart and bind up your wombs. That's what he's up to in your pain and difficulties. That's what this is telling us, and it's important for us to always keep in mind. Guess who eventually died again? Lazarus. He had to do it twice? Bummer. Yeah, Lazarus, in fact, in chapter 12, they're trying to kill him and Jesus to destroy the evidence of Jesus' deity. 
I wonder if he told Jesus, Jesus, you brought me back for this? They're trying to kill me and you. Next weekend, haters, lovers, and users. John chapter 11, verse 45 to chapter 12, verse 11. My wife and I, along with any available elders, will be up here at the front at the end of the service. If you are new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions about this message or any other questions, we'd love to answer those for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, we are very grateful that your Son, our Savior, Jesus didn't die just for our past forgiveness or our future resurrection, but also so that we could have his presence, his power, his peace, and innumerable promises to face anything in the here and now. Life is filled with sin and suffering, and though we grieve, we don't grieve like the world grieves because we have hope in you. We are thankful, Father, that you are at work through your Holy Spirit in the worst of times doing a thousand things no one can see but you for our good and your glory. And no matter what we face in life, may it press us near to your heart so that we can show the world to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.